Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. You just trust. Believe. <laughs> This story takes place in 2011 when I was 19 years old. I had just gotten a nanny job and I was also going to school part-time. I would be watching over two girls, a 10-year-old who we'll call Melissa and a 5-year-old who we'll call Samantha. They lived in a newer house in a wealthy subdivision and everything seemed great. My first evening babysitting was just for Samantha, though. We started off coloring as I was trying to break the ice and make her feel comfortable. She was very outgoing, so it didn't take long for her to warm up to me. Later on, we decided to play hide and seek. After a few rounds, we were having a lot of fun together. It was my turn to hide, so I bolted upstairs and ran to Samantha's bedroom. I looked around quickly as I was running out and heading for the closet. As I turned the lights off and closed the closet door in front of me, I immediately felt terrified. All of the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I knew I was not alone. I couldn't see anything, but it felt like something or someone was there with me. I frantically opened the doors and ran back downstairs. I didn't tell Samantha what happened because I didn't want to freak her out. A couple of months after the incident, we were playing in her bedroom. We were both sitting on the floor going through her toys when she told me that she would sometimes get scared at night. I asked her why and she told me that it was because of the voices that came out of her closet. The same closet that scared the shit out of me and was currently sitting just a few feet away. I asked her what kind of voices she would hear. Boy and girl voices, she said calmly. I told her maybe it was her mom and dad talking late at night, but I knew that that probably wasn't it. Samantha's bedroom was in the far right corner of the house, spaced out from all the others. Her room did not share walls with anyone else, and I honestly did not know what to think at this point. I tried not to go into her room as much as possible after this. As time went on, things eventually started escalating. I was now afraid to go to work. The girls would often go to a friend's house just a few houses down, which would leave me and the two cats home alone. I usually used this time to do my homework or watch TV on the main floor in the living room. Sometimes I would be alone for hours, but the cats would always snuggle up right beside me on the couch and keep me company. I always looked forward to this time, until one afternoon, clear as day, I heard loud thuds coming from upstairs. It sounded like somebody was running back and forth. Both cats jerked up from their sleep and looked up at the ceiling. 
validating what I had just heard. I think I tried to rationalize it. I thought maybe that the girls had come home without me hearing. They were upstairs in their bedroom. I always kept all of the doors locked, but there was a back door with the keypad on it. They would use it occasionally to get inside. I headed for the stairs to check it out just in case. I stood at the bottom step, looking up, hoping to see Samantha or Melissa there. I couldn't see much, but the last thing I wanted to do was go upstairs. I needed to know if they came home, though. So I slowly went up and reached the landing. I looked around and saw nothing. I heard nothing. It was quiet now, and I became uneasy. I nervously walked through each of the bedrooms. Nobody was there. I was so scared that I ran back down and stayed in the living room until the girls finally got home. From that point on, every time the girls left, I would hear footsteps. This lasted for months, and I would secretly dread the girls leaving, knowing what was going to happen. I knew there was no one running around upstairs, and that this had to be something supernatural. I was sure of it. I felt it every single time that I walked into that house. Eventually, summer came, and Samantha and Melissa were invited to a friend's house to go swimming. They got ready and I walked them over just a few houses down. It was just me and the cats home alone again, and I was scared as usual. An hour or so had gone by, and I hadn't heard any footsteps yet. Things seemed to be going okay, and I thought maybe it isn't going to happen today. I sat at the table doing my homework for some time when I heard a loud, persistent noise that startled me. It sounded like the back door handle, jiggling aggressively. I assumed that it was Samantha as she was someone who loved coming in through the back just so she could push the buttons on the keypad. I stood up and jogged over, shouting, Hold on, Samantha, I'm coming. When I reached the back door, Samantha was not there, and the door was still locked. I opened it and stepped out, looking for her. I, I didn't see anyone, though. I thought maybe she forgot the code and ran back off to the neighbors. That had to be it. Several hours later, they got home and I asked Samantha if she had come back to the house earlier. She looked at me confused and said, I, I didn't come back home. Then I asked Melissa if she tried to come through the back door and she said no. They said that they had been swimming the entire time. Both girls seemed completely oblivious and unconcerned. Did someone try to break in or was it just another supernatural occurrence? I really started to hate that house. I would try to spend most of my time outside or away if I could. I asked the girls one day if they wanted to go to a roller rink nearby. They agreed and they were excited to go, as was I. We had a blast roller skating, playing games, and eating candy. On our way home, we listened to the music and sang loudly, but Dread quickly took over when I approached that house. I pulled into the driveway, and I couldn't believe what I saw. The front door was wide open. I absolutely knew that I had locked it. I always double-checked to make sure 
when I would leave somewhere that it was locked. My first thought was that somebody had broken into the house, but I knew in my gut that that hadn't happened. I should have called the police just to be sure, but I didn't want to make a big scene, so instead, I told the girls to wait in the car and lock the doors. I went in through the garage and opened the door. I stepped into the kitchen and grabbed the biggest knife that I could see, just in case. I slowly walked through the entire house, absolutely scared out of my mind. Everything was exactly as it was. Nothing was stolen. The house was just as we left it. I was relieved that no one had broken in, yet terrified that something not of this world could be in that house. My boyfriend at the time tried to convince me to quit. He could see how scared and stressed that I was. What was I going to say, though? Um, yeah, I can't work here anymore because I think your house is haunted. I knew how ridiculous that sounded, plus I needed money, so I continued to keep nannying. I had always had this consistent schedule and was usually done with work at around 3 or 4 p.m. because that's when the girl's mom would get home. One evening she called and asked if I could stay a little later. I told her that it was fine as it was only going to be an extra hour or two. It was just Samantha and I that evening and after we ate dinner, we decided to color at the kitchen table. She was a tiny little thing and had to sit on her knees to be tall enough to reach the coloring pages. She loved to talk, so I sat there and just listened to her as she continued to pick out markers and scribble. Without any warning, Samantha was aggressively pulled back. Her chair slid about a foot with her still in it. In complete shock, I sat there for several seconds in silence trying to process what had just happened right in front of me. The kitchen chairs were extremely heavy, and she was far too light to push herself off that table and slide it that far. I had my eyes on her the entire time, and her body looked like it was being pulled. I tried to be logical, but there was no explanation for this one. She then looked at me and said, Whoa, did you see that? My chair just moved all by itself. I wanted to burst into tears. I started to panic. But instead, I calmly said, Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Luckily, a few weeks later, I was told that I wouldn't be needed anymore because the mom's work schedule had been changed. I was truly relieved. And when my time was done, I did not keep in touch. One night in November of 2019, two of my best friends and I, let's call them Izzy and Elena, decided to go to an abandoned barn and silo, which was located about two football fields away from Elena's house. She lived in a very rich suburban neighborhood, which to us three wannabe delinquent 12 and 13 year olds was boring as hell. Maybe that was the reason why this partially collapsed building on a side plot of land off the main neighborhood was so enticing. We set off a bit before dusk as we were waiting for Ellie, the fourth member of our party, to arrive. The walk wasn't too much of a trek for us as we were varsity cross-country runners and 
we got to our destination pretty quickly. Nothing happened that night other than us laughing at the immature graffiti on the tin walls of the barn, exploring a bit and remarking to each other about how much trash there was around the area. Elena had previously explained to us that it was considered public property and that it was a party hotspot for underage drinkers and smokers. This only made us feel even cooler, like we were breaking the rules, which we as young teenagers who attended a very strict private school didn't do often, if at all. Soon enough, we got a call from Ellie saying that she had arrived. We went back and the rest of the night went smoothly, with all of us falling asleep by midnight. Once we told Ellie about our little excursion, being who she was and continues to be today, was very upset and angry that we had left her out, and she insisted that we go again that morning. Not wanting to pass up an opportunity to feel like tough big kids, we obliged. This time, though, the walk was filled with jokes about us being the kids from the horror movies. You know, the ones that get brutally killed on screen due to their own stupidity. Because everyone wants to be those kids, of course. About halfway through the walk there, Ellie stopped and picked up a black piece of plastic off the ground. A hunting knife cover. This only made our jokes even funnier and more realistic to us as we kept going with even more stupid excitement than before. Our first 30 minutes in the ruins were only filled with more of the same playful banter and childish jokes as before. Soon, all four of us damn near jumped out of our own skin when we heard a loud sound come from the silo. Ellie reluctantly went over to see what had happened, we still aren't really sure what the noise was, but we speculated that it was just a bird or some other animal that had knocked down a pebble off the rim of the old silo. This only seemed more realistic when I craned my neck to look into the silo and saw the back half of a fox or cat scrambling out of the sight on top of the rim. We joked around about that short scare and then went on with our activities, one of which involves constructing a ritual circle we put one of those fake golden women from the top half of a sports trophy in the middle of a circle, and the circle was made up of either cigarette cartons or glass bottles, I can't remember which. Why, you may ask? Well, because of course we did. We found this very, very amusing. Either way, soon after the construction of this, I found a mechanical pencil on the ground of the barn. I picked it up and showed it to my friends before deciding to write hello on the wall of the barn. Around now is where the earlier comment of being the kids from the horror movies became a bit too real for us. I handed the pencil to Izzy and moved to pick up my Polaroid camera that I had brought along. As I did this, I happened to look to my right, where there happened to be a large gap on the side of the barn about 7 feet by 6 feet. I didn't expect to see anything, but there it was, standing about 10 feet away from my friends and I, about 5 feet outside of the gap, was a figure. This figure was dressed in all black. It was wearing a black slouch hat, a black scarf, and a long-sleeved jacket. It was completely dark and all of it seemingly the same shade of black through the whole outfit. But what really scares me is the fact that this person's skin was pure white. 
And when I say that, I don't just mean some pale person who easily gets sunburned. I mean that this person seemed to be wearing white gloves and maybe even a full mask. Not only was there not any hair visible, but their face had no distinguishable features. I couldn't tell if it was wearing a mask or not. This could, of course, be chalked up to the fact that I didn't exactly stick around to examine this figure all that well. Their hands swayed by their sides, and their feet moved slowly in small stepping motions towards us, making no sound. This should have been impossible, even with small motions like that, because of the fallen leaves and frost-covered grass that surrounded the area. But I guess it was very much so possible for them, seeing as the only sound that was occurring then was my hushed and shaking voice saying, Guys, there, there's a person there. Very wise words, I know. We then hauled ass out of there. But of course, the universe is cruel and couldn't let us get out of there free of any further trauma after the jokes we had made. On the way out, Ellie tripped on a log. While me and Elena kept running, Izzy went back to help Ellie. I still regret not going back to help her to this day. I did, however, slow down a bit. I don't really remember if it was just to let Ellie and Izzy catch up, or if it was due to my exercise-induced asthma kicking in. Either way, they caught up soon. Remember how I said the four of us were cross-country runners? Well, we were fast kids. We had made it nearly halfway to Elena's house. The field itself only made up about half the distance to her house, while the side street made up the second half. Either way, we had made good distance. It had probably only been about a minute since we had sprinted out of that place. I finally said, I think we can slow down now. To prove my point, I looked back, which Ellie did at the same time. I was wrong. Very wrong. That thing I saw had covered over half the ground the four of us had, yet it seemed to be going at a snail's pace. If that doesn't raise some form of red flag for you, I don't know what would. The person, if you can call it that, wasn't very tall either, and they didn't appear to have long legs. Either way, all I could think was that there was no way they should be that close to us. So naturally, we started sprinting again. We sprinted all the way back to Elena's house, me being on the brink of having both an anxiety attack and an asthma attack which I can say from experience, do not mix well. Izzy and Ellie were also pretty anxious and holding back tears, and Ellie was nearly cussing me out for not stopping to help her. Elena went to go get her mom to tell her what happened, and the rest of us stayed in the dining room, trying and failing to calm down. That's not a very good resolution, I know, but it's the only one I can give. Before you say it, yes, it could have been nothing to be afraid of. But also, it turned out that we were not on public land. So it could have been the owner trying to scare us off. Either way, we were scared to death. As I'm writing this, I'm getting chills. My eyes are tearing up. 
I don't think I've ever successfully made it through telling this story without my emotions getting the best of me. From a young age, I've never felt alone. I always felt as if there was an additional presence around me. I still do, to be quite honest, but those are different submissions for a different day. It all started after my nanny passed away when I was only six years old. It was the mid-80s. She was only 63 when she passed. I would wake up and see her sitting on my bed, weightless, but sitting on my bed and smiling at me. At first, it would scare me, and I would run to my parents, yelling that Nanny was trying to take me with her. Of course, they just thought that it was the overactive mind of a child. But I knew better. I think she must have known that I was scared because after a while, when she would visit, she would just stand by the wall with her arms extended, as if waiting for a hug, but she would be smiling at me. She always had a blue dress on, the one that she was buried in. She wore that for her last family photo with us and my poppy. As I grew older, the visits became more than just her silent presence in the room. When I was about 12, we had moved to a new province. I live in Canada. And on our first night in the new house, I woke up with a jolt at exactly 3.01 a.m. And there she was, sitting at the end of the bed. For the first time, I spoke. Nan? I said. She gave no reply. I watched her stand up and literally glide over to the door of my bedroom. Once again, I said, Nan, and added, I miss you so much. Mind you, I said this while lying down, not facing the door, seeing her stand up and move. It really freaked me out. I mean, I knew I was safe because it was my Nan, but I was still only 12, and this was the first time I had seen her move like that. All of a sudden, I hear, Why do you think I'm here? I'm making sure you're okay. Now go back to sleep because I'm going to check on the rest of the family. I nearly shit myself. It was her speaking to me as clear as day. The first time I had heard her voice since long before she had passed. I sat up to see her opening my bedroom door and exiting. This happened many times over the years with the visits shifting again as I became a young adult. My parents' marriage was decimated and our family was really seeing some major cracks in its foundation. It's almost like she knew I just needed familial contact or comfort. To know that someone was looking out for me and my well-being. I would wake up and, yes, I was definitely awake. She would be lying beside me brushing my hair behind my ear, telling me how proud she was of me, and talking to me about how I was going to be okay, that everything was going to be all right. It might take a while, and would be an uphill battle, but I would persevere. She also talked a lot about how much she missed being with Poppy, but knew that he still had some years left in him before he would join her, and what they called their great reward. I got to the point where I would look forward to my visits, because they were the only grounding thing in my life from a parental perspective. I actually would conduct myself in a way that 
I knew my nanny would approve of, given the state of my Earthside family and the trials and tribulations that were plaguing my parents. Then came time for my pop to go to this great reward. He lived 21 years without the absolute love of his life by his side. I was shattered. I was so close to him. I confided in him a lot throughout the years, and as my own dad, his son, wasn't truly available, this helped. I knew at that moment, that thread that was keeping the leftover fabric of our family together was effectively gone. Whatever stitching was holding us together was now forever broken. For a little while after he passed, I didn't see Nanny. Then one night, it happened. This was the most bizarre experience of all. To this day, I still don't know if I was sleeping and dreaming, or if I literally transcended worlds. But I was with them. I was in a stark room. I was led to these two gigantic floor-to-floor ceiling doors. With one sweeping pull, the people who led me to the room pulled the gigantic doors open, with great ease, I must add, to a room bustling with music and people dancing. Think of the big party scene from The Sound of Music. Everyone was dressed to the nines. An orchestra was playing. There were ball gowns, tuxedos. But everyone who was dancing was floating, literally floating around the room. I I didn't see anybody's feet on anyone dancing in the big ballroom. I was so confused. Where am I? I asked the people who led me there. All of a sudden, I see them. My nanny and Poppy, together, dancing, laughing, and happy, as well as healthy. They see me and float right over to me, with gigantic smiles on their face and embrace me. I can actually feel their arms around me. It's the safest I've ever felt in years, and I don't want it to end. I plead with them, come back with me, or at least to let me stay with them. They tell me that I can't, because I still have many more years before I will see them again. They tell me that they're okay, to tell everyone that they're okay and they found one another. That they're proud of me and they knew that I would come through and get the message that they are now at peace and happy. I started to cry because I didn't know what it meant. They're going to tell me that I have to go when all I want to do is stay and embrace. They both touched my face, wiped my tears. I could feel them touching me and wiping the tears. I could really feel it. I can't even describe the intensity of the feelings in my body at that exact moment of sadness, happiness, and fear. They then told me that time was up and I had to leave now, but to be sure to let everyone know that they're good and they're watching over us. I asked them one more time to come with me or let me stay. My poppy said, Kitten, his pet name for all of his grandkids, it's time for Nanny and I to catch up on all of the time that we lost on Earth. They hugged me again, and I started to walk away. I turned over my shoulder to see them again, and they were dancing or floating. They stopped and looked my way and both blew me a kiss in unison. I resumed my walk towards the big floor-to-ceiling doors and turned around one last time to see them. When I did, the room was empty. There was no orchestra. There weren't any floating dancers. There was no entryway with large floor-to-ceiling doors. It was just me sitting on my bed. Now, tears pouring down my cheeks and sobbing uncontrollably. Not because I was scared, but because I knew that would be the last time I was going to have a visit from them. 
I was right. That dream happened over 20 years ago. And what I wouldn't give to have another visit from them. I'm not a religious person, but I would like to think that there is something after this life and that one day I'll go to my great reward and see all those people who have gone before me. I also need to add that nobody in my family outside of myself ever had a dream or received a visit from this set of grandparents. I found out when I was a bit older that as my grandmother was taking her last breaths and in a very drug-induced coma-like state, she kept saying my name over and over again. Maybe that's why I was lucky enough to be the one to receive so many beautiful visits and affirmations through the years. I truly believe those visits played a huge part in molding the type of person I am and the type of parent to my own daughter that I've become. I don't know what direction I would have gone in had it not been for my grandmother helping me keep the correct path in life. I'm happy to report that our family bonds have gone through an immense amount of healing and we're all much stronger as a unit. Just like my nan said, it took a while and definitely was an uphill battle, but we did persevere. We overcame it all. Thanks for the memories, love and guidance, Nan and Pop. You're never forgotten, and feel free to drop in for a visit anytime. I love you very much. I believe the year was 2003 or 2004. I was a campus police officer working a night shift in western Massachusetts. My partner and I were required to perform security checks on unoccupied buildings as part of our normal duties. One night at approximately 12.30 or 1 in the morning, we entered one such building for a security check. So, the building was built in the 1920s, along with 99% of the buildings on this campus. This building has a basement level that was leased by a daycare center that operated usually from 7am to about 5pm. The first floor contained offices belonging to different staff members who usually left at around 4pm. Just for reference, the first floor is broken up into two hallways with doors at both ends that open and close. There is a common area in the middle with seating for people. The second floor basically has dorm-style rooms and was used for visiting nursing students that were not able to commute back and forth to campus. Okay, so we walk into the foyer of the first floor where all the offices are. We walk into the common area, take a left, and start walking down the hallway, making sure the offices are all secure and locked up for the night. We get halfway down the hallway, and the door at the beginning of the hallway, behind us, slams closed with a loud bang. As I said before, the building had been closed and vacant since 5pm, so we are the only two people in the building. As we turn to each other, we both say, what the fuck? We both hear something running at us. We knew it was running because we could hear the distinct sound of someone running up behind us with bare feet on a tile floor. So yeah, after I pretty much shat myself, we felt a cold wind whip through us, and we heard it move all the way to the end of the hall and what appeared to be through a window at the end. For a second, we stood there, not moving, 
and tried to understand what the ever-loving fuck that was. I, thinking that I am a smart cop who is about to use deductive reasoning, figured, since the curtains around the window at the end of the hall moved, that it was some weird wind thing, and it just swept through, and that's why the door closed and the curtains moved at the end, right? Uh, nope. Boy, was I fucking wrong. We cautiously moved to the end of the hallway, and oh look, the window was closed and locked, so now we have no clue. I looked at my partner, and we were just like, no fucking way. Then, for whatever reason, we hear what sounds like a full-on, casual conversation between two people, like actual voices coming from the basement where the daycare is. Shaking our heads, we start thinking that some people broke into this building for God knows why, and we make our way into the daycare. We find nothing at all, the whole area was dark, and after the wonderful experience we just had, I was like, fuck this, and I turned on all the lights in the basement, and we cleared each room and area in the daycare. Then I saw a phone, and I thought to myself, it must have been an answering machine recording playback for some strange reason. Yeah, nope, I was wrong again. I looked everywhere in the area, and there wasn't an answering machine anywhere to be found. And who would be calling a daycare at one in the morning? Nobody, that's who. Thankfully, the rest of the shift went by with no issues. So, at seven in the morning, when we were relieved, we told the oncoming shift about what we encountered, and their reply was, Oh yeah, that building is haunted. According to them, there's a ghost of a nursing student who had hanged herself in that building. And then I said, well, it would have been nice if she wore some shoes. Strangely enough, after that night, we never had another encounter like that again. I am definitely convinced that the runner was the ghost, but... I don't know what the fuck was in the basement, and I'm glad that whatever it was chose not to stick around because I only had one pair of pants. We've got another happy haunt for you in this outro. Andy, take it away. Yeah, this one's untitled. It's from listener Brittany. So, growing up, my grandma never kept pictures of her dad around the house. Losing him was extremely hard on her, and having his pictures around only made things worse. So, she keeps all of his pictures in a photo album tucked away, which she revisits when she feels strong enough. I was always told I would have loved my great-grandpa and how we were so much alike which is probably why my grandma decided out of all of her grandchildren, I should be the one that got his quilt. As a little backstory, my grandma made him this quilt as a young girl. He took it with him when he fought in the war, and I'm told that it was his favorite blanket until he passed away. On to the story, though. The day that I got the quilt from my grandma, I went home and immediately put it on my bed. I was so excited to have not only a piece of my grandma with me every night, but my great-grandpa as well. Sometime in the middle of the night, I remember waking up and seeing a man standing at the end of my bed. But I wasn't frightened at all. In fact, I felt oddly comforted. 
He was an older man, probably just under six feet tall, with brown hair and shining brown eyes. He looked kind and happy to see me. After looking at the man for about a minute, I fell back asleep without a second thought. The next day, I was back at my grandma's house, and I told her about seeing the man at the foot of my bed. She got quiet and asked me to describe him. So I did, and she almost immediately burst into tears. You saw daddy last night. That was him, she said, and got up to grab a photo album that I had never seen before. For the next hour, we went through pictures of my great-grandpa, and I was confident that he was the man that I saw so many years ago. It feels like he wanted to meet the great-granddaughter that everyone said was just like him. I look back on that night fondly. I love a good happy haunt, especially the ones that involve relatives who have passed away and are stopping by to say hi. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't say I've experienced anything as blatant as a vision or anything like that, but there was one time I was pretty sad about my grandparents who had passed away just a few years prior. I was sitting outside in the backyard listening to music on my headphones, just running through the memories and whatnot. Uh, I got a little teary-eyed while I was just thinking about how I used to sit outside with them and watch the hummingbirds that would go to their feeder. Not even like a minute later, two hummingbirds flew right by my face and just kind of hovered there uh, for like a, a few seconds or so, and then they took off. But I mean, it could have been a coincidence, but I like to think it was their way of saying hi. The, uh, the little tears definitely turned into big ones after that. Yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank powerful you. Yeah. Stuff, you know? I like to think so, too. I unfortunately haven't had anything like this. Any supernatural things that have happened to me have always been a little spooky, a little weird. So not even like a little coincidence or anything like that. I know in my case, I was thinking about the hummingbirds specifically like back with my grandparents in their backyard and just out of nowhere, here come two cute little hummingbirds just buzzing along. Do hummingbirds buzz? No, they flap, right? They definitely don't buzz. I think so. You know, I, there's this song by They Might Be Giants called The Bee of the Bird of the Moth or something like that. And it's it talks about how like there's a hummingbird moth that acts like a bird that thinks it's a bee, but it's a moth. I don't, hmm. I don't even know what a hummingbird actually is now, now that I think about it. I don't know what they do. But I did actually yeah, see that... a hummingbird the other day uh, for the first time in a long time. It was like two days ago. Was it humming? Yeah, it's not significant whatsoever, but just a weird coincidence. I like that. I think everybody else will really appreciate that little tidbit you shared with us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what are these outros turning into? It's so We're so uplifting and positive. This is like Oprah outros. I mean, I'm not against oh, it. I like it. This is nice. It's a good no, change of pace. I do too. Yeah, let's roll with it. Uh, another thing, just real quick. I was perusing the reviews that we have on Apple Podcasts. Ew, and, don't uh, do that. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, yeah, let's just say my uh, self-confidence it went from like an eight to a six and a half. But anyway, uh, <laughs> somebody had mentioned that it was like, I guess, a complaint or a concern about the stories not being true or not being believable. Uh, I just kind of wanted to take some time to say we're not really in the business of debunking. You know, we're sharing stories that we are told are true and we want our listeners to be the judge of that. Because um, if we were to decide something is false... I don't want to throw something out the window that's actually true, you know? So decide for yourselves. That's where all the fun is. Yeah, and we're talking about supernatural, paranormal, extraterrestrial events. Like, 
I mean, they're all unbelievable. It you, you know you're not a believer until you experience it or you see it for yourself. And you and I, uh, and many others, we've seen just minor things that you know have made us believers and things that are paranormal or extraterrestrial. Exactly, especially stories that are like corroborated by people who I know personally, like people who have no incentive to lie about these things. Uh, the last, not the last episode, I think it was episode 19, uh, Tennessee Murder. Yes. That one, those are from two people who I, I, I work with who uh, yeah. have no reason to fabricate any of this. And I could tell by the look on their faces and everything that this was a true circumstance that happened to them. Yeah, I mean, it's in all honesty, it's kind of silly to say that these stories all sound fake. Like, you're either a believer or you're not, or you're at least open to it. You can be healthfully... Uh, skeptical of these stories you know what i mean exactly paranormally agnostic exactly just be agnostic about it like it's so silly to say that they're they're fake stories like you obviously don't believe in anything paranormal if that's the case i don't know but hey listen if you've got if you if you like the podcast and you listen on one of these platforms like apple podcasts that you know let you leave a review and rating and stuff like that spotify does too spotify does too yeah please let us know with just a star rating if you want or let us know that you are enjoying the podcast because those are just they're they are the uh, it's a pit of hell like the, <laughs> the worst thing ever a podcaster can do is go and read the reviews because some nasty people just love to have have their opinions heard and uh, so if you want to leave a good review for us, <laughs> by all means, even if it's a bad one, I don't care. We just want to hear back from you guys because we do actually read those. We do actually take them yeah. seriously. Obviously, we're addressing Absolutely. them right now. Yeah. And uh, I've been trying to be a little less monotone, so uh, I hope uh, some of you naysayers <laughs> appreciate that effort. It's funny because I, I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to overstep here, but I've had some friends of mine say that you have a very sexy voice that they really oh, enjoy really? yeah yeah so you might have you might have some other uh other occupations ahead of you in the future using well using those up my <laughs> inbox but perhaps only fans would be more appropriate <laughs> yeah we should do an only fans odd trails <laughs> oh yeah let's do it let's do it only only trails uh but yeah thanks for listening everybody this week on the podcast you've heard babysitting anomalies by renee the kids from the horror movies by charlie Raised by Grandparents Beyond the Grave by Casey, Paranormal Encounter by Kevin, and An Untitled Submission by Brittany. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of the respective authors. And if you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And if you want to get access to all the Patreon content, that includes ad-free versions of these episodes at a higher bit rate for a better quality listening experience, as well as some bonus content. Head over to patreon.com forward slash odd trails we'll see you next time for a brand new episode of odd trails stay safe yeah peace out okay